Yeah, the funny thing about that is that the advertising community, yeah, on the surface, they sell stuff, but what they really try to sell us and what we really buy as consumers are states of mind and ways of being. That is television, commercial, and voice actor Chris Agos, and I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Chris's TV appearances include recurring roles on Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, and Boss, as well as roles on Sirens, Betrayal, Mob Doctor, and many more. His book, Acting in Chicago, taught me everything I needed to know when I moved here three years ago. Enjoy this episode. Chris Agos, thanks so much for coming back on the, uh, on the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm honored that uh, I get to do this again. I'm really excited to dig deeper into some of this stuff. Uh, we're going to talk today about commercial acting, something which you know a lot about. Mm, yeah, commercial acting's fun. It pays well. God, <laughs> does it pay well. Yeah. Oh no, it's God. great. Uh, yeah, I've been doing commercials a long time. Uh, and it's funny, a lot of things about commercials have changed over the years, but um, a lot of it's the same, too. There's sort of uh, you know a few core principles that don't change. So uh, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Let's go. All right, so why don't I start with this? And I have to thank a uh, longtime listener and now friend of mine, Nelson Rithaller, for helping me with uh, some of these questions. I just talked to him, and he, he loved your, your first interview, and uh, so he helped me develop a few of these. And one thing he wanted me to ask you is, from the time that you get the initial call or the, uh, the initial email from your agent with a script, what's your routine? Take us through the process from that moment until you walk out of the audition. Um, <clears throat> wow. My process, uh, from getting the initial email to walking out of what, like the first audition. Sure. Um, yeah. Or, or the callback or the callback. Yeah. Cause you, you hope that there's always a callback. Um, uh, well, the first thing is I read through all the information as soon as I can. So I'm, you know, one of these people who, um, you know, we all get email on our phones now. And so like, I will literally stop what I'm doing if I can and read everything. And by reading everything, I mean everything. Like, um, I think a lot of people make the mistake of, um, you know, they'll read like the shoot dates and the role description and stuff like that. And then they'll go to the script and they'll read the words on the script. But a lot of times the scripts, uh, the words on the script that are written for the actors to say, that's only half the story and they leave the other half of the story. They, they don't bother with that stuff. Um, so I make sure I read all the stage directions, you know, any setup, any, you know, like character descriptions, um, that might be in the actual script. If there's a storyboard, I'll make sure I look through that. And, and I just want to understand the whole story because, you know, for me, and I, I think, I've sort of developed this approach and, and it's worked for me is I look at commercials as 30 second long stories. You know, they have a beginning, a middle and an end and yeah, we're, we're there to sell something. But at the end of the day, if I approach a, a commercial script with that mindset, like, Hey, let's go sell some laundry detergent. You know, that's not going to get me anywhere in terms of, um, wanting to be there or being able to relate to these people that I'm supposed to pretend to be. So I, I, I just try to understand the world of the story as much as I can, uh, the world of the spot that these ad guys are building. And uh, then my um, negative side usually kicks in and I either say, yeah, I'm right for this or no, no there's no way in hell I'm going to get this. <laughs> yeah, yep. You know, so because sometimes you can tell sometimes, you know, you you know, either on the character description or on just based on what like the scenario is, what the setup is, you know, if it's going to be like in your wheelhouse or not. And if it's not. I get a little, you know, less, I get a little less excited about the whole thing and maybe I'll put it aside. But if it is, if it's like something that I really know that I'm supposed to, that I'm going to be right for, um, then the minute I can, I dig right in because for me, it's all about the preparation. Like I'm the kind of person that really wants to feel like I know what I'm doing when I walk into that room. So after I read everything and I understand everything, you know, I, I might, put it aside for a little bit if I'm in the middle of something when the email comes in. But then as soon as I can, I, I start um, trying to, to go a little deeper in terms of the prep. And I'm guessing you want to know about that prep, right? Yes. Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> All right. The, the prep is not like the prep that I do isn't really terribly complicated. Um, 
but you know, there's, there's some things that I, that I keep in mind. I mean, the first thing is, is, uh, I, I need to build some context, right? Because a lot of times these spots, whether they're wordy or not, whether they're, you know, like a slice of life or, um, a narrator kind of like standing and, and doing a testimonial to the camera or something like that, there has to be context. And without that, then you're just like grasping at straws, trying to throw the words out there. And these, these ad creatives, they can sense that a mile away. What they're looking for is somebody who actually, they say connects to the material, right? But what that really means is someone who understands the context of what's going on. So I asked myself some really, really simple, basic questions. And it's, you know, this is like acting one-on-one stuff. It's who am I? Why am I there? Why am I saying what I'm saying and who am I talking to, you know, because the, the deeper I go with those answers, the answers to those questions, then the more I understand the world that I'm being asked to inhabit. <clears throat> Once I understand all of that, then I start to think about subtext because the subtext is important too, you know, in life and in scripts, you know, people don't always say exactly what they mean to say. There's always something else going on. You know, if it's a wife talking to a husband and the husband says something, you know, nowadays, all husbands, it seems like they're, you know, we all say stupid things to our wives because it's very common and like traditional to like make the guy kind of a dummy, you know, and make, and make the wife smart. So, you know, which is probably true in a lot of relationships in real life. But, um, you know, if whatever's going on, whatever the dynamic is between the husband and the wife, I always try to figure out, all right, what's really happening. Like if this were a real situation, is the, is the guy tired? Is, did they just come out of an argument? Did they just come out of, you know, something really cool? What is uh, the cool that happened between them? What actually is going on? What's actually being said? Um, so I try to develop a little bit of, of subtext, a little bit of, you know, reading between the lines. Um, and along those lines, I also try to figure out what we're really selling because the easy answer to that question is, well, we're selling beer or we're selling, you know, laundry detergent or a fiber substitute or, uh, in, you know, some kind of service. Yeah. The funny thing about that is that the advertising community, yeah, on the surface, they sell stuff, but what they really try to sell us and what we really buy as consumers are states of mind and ways of being, you know, we don't, we don't want to buy laundry detergent because it's going to get our clothes cleaner than anything else. The fact is that cheer, tide, all gain, all these things basically do the same thing. It's just soap, man, you know? So what the advertising community does is try to put a different spin on it. They try to sell success or they sell sexiness or they sell, you know, some, some kind of comfort, um, whatever it is. That's what we really sell in the 30 second spot. So it's, it's important for me to define that as well so that I have a more complete picture of what it is that we're really there to do. So once I understand all that stuff, then it's a matter of, you know, working out the words and making sure I, you know, when I walk into the room that I know what I'm supposed to say, because there's nothing more terrifying to me as an actor than walking into a room with the expectation that I will know what to say and I don't know what to say, you know, cause that, that means you just are unprepared. Yeah. So I hate that feeling. So I just make sure I get the words down as, as best I can. Um, and of course these days I'm always ready for anything because, um, you know, being asked to make the script your own or improvise or whatever, that's like, uh, that's 60, 70% of the auditions that have happened. That's going to happen on, you know, like, okay, that was great. We did one, you know, as scripted. Now let's do one the way you would say it. So I always bring in a couple, maybe an alternative here or there, you know, you got to be careful with that because you don't want to like do too much and change the script too much. But at the same time, you have to show that you can have, you can bring some different ideas to the table. Um, so I go in, hopefully I'm prepared. I go in and my do I do my thing. If there's a partner in the room, then I actually try not to read through it with them in the waiting room. Hmm. Um, I don't like to do that because I feel like when we go and do it for the first, you know, one or two times, that's as fresh as it's going to be. Huh. Um, so I prefer not to read through it. I've had partners that are like really adamant about reading through it beforehand. And I'll say, no, I'll say, why don't we just do it in there? It's more fun that way. 
you know, I don't get into my whole philosophy or anything. I'm just like, let's just do it in there, you know? And if they're like, if I can tell they're really freaked out about that, then I'll, I'll read through it with them. But, um, I prefer not to do that. And so we go in and, you know, if it's, if obviously if there's no partner, then I don't have to worry about that. We go in, we do the thing, you do it once, you get adjustments, you do it again. Hopefully there's no crashing and burning that takes place and you walk out and that's it. And then I give myself five minutes to think about what I did in there and then I forget about it. That's kind of it. If there's a callback, I do all the things that they tell you to do, right? I mean, I I try to wear the same wardrobe, the same shirt or whatever, because it's true. Sometimes people are like, hey, where was the guy in the the green shirt? You know, uh, they don't remember you, but they remember what you were wearing. So I try to do that. I go in and I do exactly the same thing that I did the first time around. I don't Mm. change anything because Mm. the reason I'm there the second time around is because I did something that they liked the first time around. So... I go in and I start with that. And then, of course, if the director's in the room or if they're on a monitor, you know, being Skyped in or whatever from New York, then obviously I'll, I'll take direction and make adjustments as, as needed. That's, that's kind of the process. That's the Chris Agos process. Okay, I have a few questions for you. Um, All right. So the first one is something that you actually mentioned in our first talk. And I've heard other people mention this too. And it's different from the way that I think about it. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, I've heard people say that they've had other actors that they go into the room with ruin their auditions and yeah. just kind of screw them altogether because, oh, yeah. because they're not prepared or they don't, they're just not good or whatever. There's two ways to look at that. And the way that I generally look at it is that it doesn't really matter so much because they're not going to book the two people. Uh, they're probably going to book one person and then pair them up with another person in the callback. So I think if the other person does poorly, it doesn't affect me so much. It maybe even makes me look better. But I know that, well, I think that you see that differently. And I know other commercial, really good commercial actors who book a lot of work who say it the same way that you do. So what's your thought on that? Well, first of all, I think you can't make a blanket statement and say that if you have a shitty partner, your audition is, is, you know, worthless. Yeah. Um, you also can't make a blanket statement and say, well, it doesn't matter what my partner does because they're looking at me independently from them. Right. And the reason you can't say that is because every ad creative or every director or whoever, I mean, you guys know that these decisions are not made by, made by one person. They're made by a committee. Yeah. And so you got a, you got a director to contend with, you got writers, you got producers and you've got clients. And so not every one of those people in every case is going to be able to separate the two actors. If you've got two actors, one's who, one who is obviously prepared, done his homework really solid. And the other one who's just, you know, floundering and not doing a good job. It's human nature to look at that group as a unit and say, that group sucked. Now I like that guy, but man, all together as a, as, as one audition, that was a piss poor audition. Yeah. So I think that natural tendency gets in the way of a lot of really good actors who, who are paired with actors who are not prepared. Um, so I, 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 that's what I worry about. Now, my advice to people is always, if you're prepared, go in and do your thing. Don't let your partner drag you down because hopefully those decision makers will be able to look at you and go like, okay, well that guy, he's got more of what we're looking for and he, you know, did his homework. So let's bring him back or let's consider him. But in terms of your assertion that they're not going to cast the group, dude, that happens a lot. And what, when it does happen, imagine if you're a director and you're looking at, let's say you call back three pairs, right? Husband and wife, three, three groups of two. Mm-hmm. And you've got one group that the husband was just rocked. It was exactly what you were looking for. And the wife just, you know, left a bunch of stuff on the floor. I mean, it was just terrible. And then you got the next group that it was opposite. The wife did a really great job and he was really charming and personable. And the husband was just like drunk the night before or something. And he came (laughs) in and, you know, crapped all over the place. And then you've got that third group and they both knocked it out of the park. I mean, human nature says, well, let's just go with those guys because they already got it figured out. Yeah. And they're going to make our shoot day easier. We're not going to have to work to, to make this happen because at the end of the day, the casting part of it is just one of a million moving pieces that they have to deal with to make this commercial happen. And our job as actors and their job as human beings is 
Our job is to make their day easier, and their job is to cast somebody who they inherently know are going to make their day easier. Mm -hmm. So they're going to look at that group, that that husband and wife that really did well and had great chemistry and looked great together and fit the character descriptions, and they're going to present them as their first choice. That happens to me. That's It's happened to me. It happens to a lot of people. So it's a huge disadvantage if you're paired with somebody who just sucks. And, you know, they may not suck. I mean, I, I a lot of times, honestly, a lot of times I'm... Uh, my auditions have been ruined by one of two types of actors, either, either an actor who is kind of new at this and is a little nervous and is letting the nerves get in the way, that kind of actor, or secondly, the improviser whose job they feel is to really be on. Yeah. And I have a hard time with improvisers who struggle to find a balance between showing them what they can do and kind of you know waving at them and pointing and saying, hey, look at me, look at me, and playing the scene. So those are the two types of actors that I kind of dread and I can smell them coming a mile away because when I sit down in the waiting room and we get, you know, sometimes you get paired up beforehand, you you know, almost always the partners kind of seek each other out. And one of the first things I ask is, so, you know, you guys, do you do a lot of improv? You know, and I, if I'm just chatting, I want to find out what I might be in for when I go in the room. And if I get the answer of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been taking classes lately or something like that. I'm just, my guard is up just a little bit that I know, okay, I might have to, you know, I, this might happen. I'm, I might have someone here who's going to, you know, be trying a little too hard and it doesn't really change the way I do things. But again, that's just part of my prep. I want to know as much as I can going in because frequently we have so little information going into that room. Right. Okay, awesome. Um, so in terms of uh, preparation, one thing that I, I do, and you're probably going to tell me that I should stop doing this immediately, um, but <laughs> one thing that I do is I'm sure that you had this happen at the beginning of your career where you think you're prepared and you think you have the script memorized and then you go in and it's all out the window. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit, I, I better fix this problem. So one thing that I do is I memorize the script or I, I get really familiar with the script and then um, the day of the audition, I'll set up my iPad and set up the video and I'll film myself do it. And it's not so much to see the product, but I know that as soon as there's a camera on me, it sort of changes everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the barometer for me to see if I'm actually prepared. Uh, have you ever done that or do you do anything similar to that? I've done that. I've never done that in commercial auditions. I've done that for uh, TV auditions, for sure. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think the more time, first of all, I think it's great that you know that as soon as a camera starts rolling, something changes. Yeah. That's really important to know about yourself. So anything that you can do to get yourself in front of a camera and get that sort of out of your way, you know, Putting, setting up your, your iPad and doing the, the commercial, you know, directly to that and watching the result. If that's helping you, man, do that. I mean, I think that's great. I've done that for TV a couple of times. And I got to say, I kind of like doing that because, you know, there, sometimes there's a disconnect between what we think we're doing yep. and, and what we are actually doing. Yep. And you need to know that because there, there's nothing worse than like, putting in all this time and effort and everything and going in and doing the thing. And then you're like, you know, getting feedback that is not at all, doesn't at all line up with what you thought you were putting out there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if that works for you, if, if that visual, that sense of visual connection to your performance is giving you the information you need to make subtle changes that are going to allow you to be able to put out there what you really want to put out there, then yeah, I think that's a great idea. Cool. Awesome. All right, here's another question, uh, sort of a tangent, but I had, I can't remember who it was. I think it was a casting director that I had on the previous episode say that she really appreciates when an actor offers to stick around at an audition in case somebody doesn't show up and they need another partner. Oh, really? Have you ever heard that or do you ever do that? I've never done that. Well, maybe I've done that. I, yesterday I was in an audition um, and it was a husband and wife thing. And there were like eight guys in the room and one girl. I think if there's, if you're in a situation like that, I think it kind of makes sense. It's like, do you want me to hang around? Cause you have no, you have no wives. Yeah. You know? Um, 
so I, I think it depends on the situation. I've, I've maybe now that you mentioned it, done that once when it was the same type of deal where like there were a couple of partners and I was either the white collar one or the, the husband or the young one or the old one or whatever. And it was obvious that I was the only one there. And I may have mentioned it like, do you need me to hang around? But as a general rule, like I, I don't, I don't do that. And I don't usually, I don't think I've ever heard anyone unless they've done it in the room, you know, behind closed doors. I've never heard anyone say, Hey, do you need me to stick around just in case? Yeah. Yeah. That's something I hadn't heard of before. It's an interesting, it's interesting. I'm sure it would work sometimes and other times it would maybe look a little bit too aggressive. Yeah. A little needy. I think, I think it could come off a little needy, especially when, you know, out in the waiting room, there's like 16 people. Yeah, you know, there's obviously no need for you to hang around. Um, but I think that there are certain circumstances where that might be, you know, smart to do. How great is it, Chris, when you're at a callback for an audition and you go in with a group and you you walk out and then the casting director comes out and goes, uh, "Hey, thanks everybody. That was that was really good. Hey, Chris, can you can you stick around?" <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, th- that's a good feeling. I, although. <sighs> You never know what that means. I know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the frustrating part. You never know if that if that really means what you want it to mean, which is you rock that and they're really leaning your way and they want to see you again. Yeah. You know? Um that feels good as much as the other way feels bad, which is when you walk out of the room and the casting totally. director is like, Hey everybody. Okay, great. Uh, thanks, Chris. We'll see you next time. Hey everybody. I just wanted to say, um, when you do this line, don't do this. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, Oh, I see. Okay. I won't be g- coming to this callback. I understand. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. All right. So what is your biggest commercial win? And that can be financially. That could be long running, uh, campaign, whatever, or just a, you know, a killer, you know, killer commercial that was super fun. Yeah. Uh, I I've got a couple, you're talking about just on camera, right? We're not talking about voiceover. Yeah. Let's talk about on camera. Okay. Very, very early on. This was one of the the coolest things that ever happened. Um, very early on in my career, I was non-union. I had just gotten in with, um, Karen Stavens enterprises, which is a, a, for those of you who aren't Chicago based, they're, uh, um, probably, I think it's Chicago's oldest, strictly non-union talent agency. They've been around since, um, the eighties, I think, uh, I had just gotten, it took me like a long time to get in with them. I, you know, people had told me about them and that they were very reputable and that they had a lot of work. And so I tried for a long time and ultimately it, it took me meeting somebody who worked there for me to actually get there. But I got there and, uh, it was like the second audition I had, I went into, I think it was for a department store and I was going to be a customer. And I, uh, went in and I did the read and I, I left and I forgot about it, but it turned out that the guy who, the, the copywriter who watched that audition, I didn't get that job, but the copywriter who watched it saw me and thought I might be really good for something else that he was working on. So he picked up the phone and called Karen Stavens and said, Hey, I really, I kind of like this guy. Can we see him for this? And I think he was, um, they were auditioning, they were holding auditions. It was a spokesperson type of thing and they were holding auditions, but they only wanted to see a few of us. And, uh, I was on that list. Um, and I wound up booking that job and that job was the first time that I had ever had something that turned out to be long-term. It was for a small regional wireless telephone provider. So this was before like, you know, everybody had, um, all the companies had sort of melded together into one big company. So this was for a company called, uh, Alliance Cellular and they provided cell service for like Iowa, Nebraska, a little bit of Texas, some of Minnesota. So like the breadbasket of the country. And I wound up doing their on-camera spokesperson stuff, their print, their radio, wound up doing that for like three years. Wow. So for a young, I was in my twenties then I was, uh, was non-union and, and very pretty inexperienced. Um, so for that to happen, you know, you know, the fact that I auditioned for something else. And just based on that audition, I got a different one, you know, and they specifically asked for me and, and then I wound up getting the, getting the job and that lasted for so long. That was really cool. Um, it was a great education because the, you know, the directors were, uh, were really good. Uh, I learned a lot. They were just really nice people. And then they got bought by Altel who, um, 
for a while there, I did like, I did a little bit of Altel stuff, but Altel was a much bigger company at the time. And they had their own like voice of and all that stuff. So, uh, when that came to an end, that was kind of a bummer, but that was a good one. And, uh, those don't come a lot around very often, but I'm, I'm super fortunate that I had another situation, which was kind of similar, uh, in that I, it's a, a spokesperson thing. It's for a small sort of group and it's been ongoing. I'm in my third year of, of doing that now. Um, so three or uh, three and a half years ago or something, I, I had an audition for Ford and, uh, they were looking for a micro type. Mm-hmm. So if you know, you know, Mike Rowe, he's, if you don't know him, uh, you can just look him up. He, you, you know him, you may not know the name. He's the man's man. He's the ultimate guy. He is. He's, uh, you know, every so often there are guys who come to the public forefront and they really do define a genre, right? And for a while there it was Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Seacrest, every, every, like a bunch of people, a bunch of advertisers were all over Ryan. It was before everyone got sick of him, right? Because mm-hmm. he was, he's so overexposed. But for a while there in the early part of the 2000s, he was really hot. And so like, you know, you'd get these notes like, hey, we want a Ryan Seacrest type. Well, Mike Rowe kind of took over that mantle and, um, you know, less so nowadays, but as little as a year or two ago, it was a lot of, hey, we want the Mike Rowe type. And Mike Rowe is just a really good guy. I mean, he's, he's a good looking guy. He's well-spoken. You you know, you want to have a beer with him. Guys want to hang out with him. Women want to date him. You know, he's kind of like perfect, right? He's also not too white collar. He's, um, super approachable. So he's really good for a lot of advertisers. And as a result of that, he does stuff. He did stuff for Ford for a long time. He does stuff for Lee jeans for bounty paper towels. I mean, he like, he, he, he banks. Yeah. So good for him, but not everybody wants to pay him. And in fact, his deal was sort of winding down with Ford. And so I got an audition for Ford and it was, Hey, we want a micro type. Well, I went in to the audition and I did my best micro imitation. You know, luckily I, I, I got a voice that kind of sounds like his a little bit. Uh-huh. I kind of, I, I was a big fan of his show, dirty job. So I watched that a lot. So I got to know kind of how he handles himself you know, there is nobody like Mike Rowe for sure, but you don't have to be that person. They, if they wanted him, they would go get him. But if you just kind of like kind of adopt some mannerisms and you kind of handle yourself like Mike Rowe handles himself, then that's being the Mike Rowe type or whatever. So, um, I went in and I did the audition and, um, to this day, I, I still do spokesperson stuff. I, I wound up booking it and, uh, every, uh, three or four months, I fly to Detroit or Cleveland and I shoot a series of TV spots for Ford. Now, I work for a particular dealer group, which is the Northeast Ohio, Northeast Ohio dealer group. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, they are one of the only dealer groups in Ford North America that still actually produces their own creative. A lot of the other dealer groups have moved toward buying creative, buying spots from the the national group because there's what they call tier one, which is all the stuff that you see um, nationally. And then there's, I think it's tier one and a half or tier two or tier two is like really local stuff or, or, or whatever. Anyway, we do the regional stuff. And so the Northeast Ohio dealer group, that was what the audition was for. I wound up working for them for quite a bit of time. And it's great because not only are they great people and it's consistent work, but um, it's given me a lot of really good stuff for a commercial reel. And um, I've met some really awesome, some people on there who, you know, I consider to be friends and that's, that's fantastic, you know? So I don't know how long that'll last. I'm, I'm very aware that at some point I'm going to get a phone call from, you know, uh, our account, our account executive, who's going to say, Hey man, it's been a great run, but we're making a change. Uh-huh. But for right now, they've got data to back up the fact that the work that we're doing is is bringing people through the door, and they're selling about a bunch of you know cars and trucks because of it. So um, I keep my fingers crossed every year, and and God willing, it'll it'll go on for a couple more years. Man, that is sweet. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, uh, I guess my biggest win story. Um, yeah, I've never booked a campaign, uh, which you know someday I, I'm sure I will. I, I hope you will. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm relatively new in this whole game. I've been, you know, acting and whatever for like three, uh, four or five years, I think. Um, 
So I was I moved to Chicago and <clears throat> didn't have a whole lot of you know I didn't none of the casting directors knew me or whatever and uh, it took a little bit and then um, in uh, January of 2015 I get called in uh, for Empire to do the uh, to do a, a a day player role on Empire and mm-hmm. did that audition it was a director session walked literally walked out of that audition to another casting director's office for a commercial audition that was for um i don't even remember what it was for it was to be a linebacker now anybody who knows me <laughs> i'm I, I, i'm uh, like a I, i'm kind not. of a, i'm not a linebacker like, no not i would all. not picture you as a linebacker a, a stiff wind could probably blow me over <laughs> so i go in there and the casting director says hey we need a, a you know who are the who are my linebackers and i went up and i said yeah i'm i'm supposed to be one of the linebackers and she said she looked at me and she gave me that look like uh, and I was like, yeah. Yeah. And she goes, okay, you know what? We're doing this like Walmart spot. I'll put you in as the dad. And so I went to the audition for a completely different audition. They put me into a room. I ended up booking Empire and booking the commercial, which ha. which was awesome. And then uh, the next week I get called in. Uh, to the Empire casting director for a commercial audition that was going to be three spots for a dating site, and I booked that one too. So it was the next Man, audition. You and got that, hot. That was in January, mm-hmm. and you know I have financial goals for the year every year. Mm-hmm. I made my entire year in January. And there the you re- go, dude. The rest was just excess. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's weird how you get streaky like that and you can't predict it. I wish you could. You you don't know. I mean, did you like have something extra great for breakfast that day? I don't know. You know, I mean, it just so happened that the stars aligned that the things that you were right for were right in front of you and you went and you got them. And, you know, days like that are great. Um, That's also one of the really frustrating things about this business is that there really does at times seem to be zero rhyme or reason to why or how we get work or we don't. Right. And, you know, you can occupy yourself with all these different, you know, methods and tips and things to do and, you know, all this prep and homework and everything. And, you know, you could like, go and like puke your guts out and you put your soul into it in the audition room. And, you know, you get some jerk behind the camera who just kind of goes, thanks, you know, and, and he's like, well, what the hell? And then you go and you, you like, you walk into the room half prepared and you don't really care and you didn't shave that day or whatever. And you're worried about your, you know, you're going to get a ticket because you didn't put enough time in the meter and they've been running behind and you go in and you kind of do like a, a a job like, you know, what you're really saying is, can I just get out of here? You know, that kind of job. Right. And, uh, and then you book it and it's like, what do you, what do you like? You just never know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's congratulations on that. That was a big, big day, big month for you. And that's, that's awesome. You'll have more of those. I can't wait. Um, you, you did say that there's, there's no rhyme or reason. And that is an incredibly frustrating thing, but I do have one tip that I don't think I've ever talked about on this podcast, and I should say it now. And it doesn't Ooh. have to do with um, commercials, but it has to do with print. And so, you know, as an actor, there's a lot of people do do print work as well, commercial mm-hmm. print print work. I don't, I, that's what I do. I don't do any sort of like runway or fashion or anything. I do like the, you know, totally not glamorous. The lifestyle it. stuff. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So what I started doing, um, because I, I never knew why they were booking me and why they weren't booking me. So what I started doing is, when I was on the set, you know, you start getting chummy with like the producers and the ad agency and, you know, you have a lot of downtime and you're, you kind of become very friendly with them a lot of times. Mm -hmm. What I started to do is when I found out who booked me or who at least was at the table, Mm -hmm. I would say, and if I could do it with diplomacy, I would never suggest that anybody just go make a beeline and say, say what I'm about to say, but I would say, Hey, just out of curiosity, was there like a single picture that kind of sealed the deal for you on the Hmm. agency website. And Hmm. a lot of times they'd go, absolutely. It was this one. And I made a spreadsheet and I would say, I booked this job because of this picture. I booked this job because of this picture. And I realized over time that there was one picture that was booking me more work than any others. Mm -hmm. And I called all of my agencies in all the states that I'm represented in. And I said, "Uh, can you please change my profile picture to this one? Yeah. Good. That's really, really smart. And you know, that's not intrusive at all. That's, that's just information gathering. And 
you know, the more information we have, the, the better chance we have of booking more work. So no doubt you're going to see the results of that. And if you haven't already over time, that's cumulatively going to add up and you're going to get more work because of that. That's really smart. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I was, I was kind of proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah for so sure. Chris, we were talking about, uh, the biggest wins. Do you have any, uh, nightmare audition stories or, or anything <laughs> like that? Yeah. You know, I have to say I've been pretty lucky. I don't have too many nightmare audition stories. I've probably done, uh, I don't know, a thousand or 1500, 2000. I can't even count uh, auditions in, in my career. And most of them are pretty good. I would say that there's two categories that fall into like the negative auditions for me, you know, for one, there's, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you walk in the room. Right. And, you know, a, a lot of times you'll walk in and this is especially true of callbacks. You walk in and there's a crowd there to, to watch you. I've, I've walked into rooms when there've been, you know, 10, 12 people yeah. uh, in the room. And that's always weird. What's weirder about that is there's always a director and he or she is kind of running the show, but everybody else is like, they're there, but they're totally not paying attention, yeah. you know? So it's this odd dynamic where you like have an audience, but you know, nobody really cares about you because they're there for other reasons, right? This is like a pre-production meeting for them. So you've got like, you know, the, the wardrobe people and you got the location guy, you got, you know, the first AD or whatever talking about, you know, and they're talking about other stuff and they just happen to be there for your audition. Um, so everyone's very silent or they're working on their phones or their computers, and you walk in and you're like, all right, you feel like you have to perform, but you, you're sort of, if you perform, nobody's paying attention. It's just like, it's just weird. That's yeah. a weird, that's a weird scenario. You know, the other, the other category that's super negative is when you walk in and it's a callback and, or maybe even a first audition with a director and, you know, you walk in and you, you do it once and they're like, all right, that was great. Thanks. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, I especially hate that when it's a callback because, I mean, I took time out of my day to go and show up and I may have, a, you know, rearranged childcare and, you know, I, I got other stuff to do. I don't have to go do your damn callback. But if you kind of knew that I wasn't really what you were looking for, why'd you waste my time? Right. You know, so if any directors listen to this, uh, you know, don't do that. It's just kind of a mean thing to do to, to call an actor back when either a, you're not quite sure, you know, you, you pretty much know you're not going to use them, you know, and B, if, if you're not quite sure and he does, he does it once or she does it once, give him another shot, you know, just to make him feel like it was worth going down there. Yeah. Um, because, uh, yeah, yeah. It's never a good feeling when you walk into the room and you, you do it once and they're like, great, thanks. Okay. Then sorry to waste your time, you know? Yeah. But I yeah. do have, I do have one specific I won't call it a horror story, but it's the, it's the most, hmm, I don't even know how to describe this, but I was the most upset walking out of the room. Cause you know how like, sometimes you walk out of the room and you feel really good. Sometimes you walk out and you feel like something wasn't right. You mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. I walked out of this audition and I felt like I was just really angry. Yeah. And this was, this happened a couple of years ago and it was an audition for a bank and it wasn't even really an audition. It was, it was very odd. The concepts you know, of course they sent out the audition times and they didn't send any materials. So we didn't have any scripts. We didn't have any storyboards. We didn't know what we were walking into. And it, it turns out that it really wasn't an on-camera commercial job per se. It was more of a glorified print job. So it was for a bank and they brought us in, uh, five or six at a time. It was a group thing. And the, the action was a pretty good close up on two people standing next to each other. And the camera angle was such that we just saw like from their, their torso down to their waist, maybe to like mid thigh. So it was like, um, just the middle of your body. Right. And the action was the, the two actors who stood next to each other would reach out across the space in between them and just hold hands just grab, grab each other's hands. And so it was very simple, very simple little thing. You know, your face wasn't even on camera. It was just like, let's see you go reach out and take, take each other's hand. Okay. I don't get this at all, but right. I'm here. I'll go do this. That's fine. So they brought us in in groups and in my group, 
it was, I don't know, let's say there were six of us. There were maybe, however the, the gender worked out, it wasn't three guys and three girls. It was like four guys and two girls. Mm-hmm. We all slated. We did a hand slate. And then we all walked you know, out of frame and they took us in two at a time. So they lined up the first pair, guy and a girl standing next to each other. They do the thing. Okay, reach out, hands great. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Do it one more time. And maybe, you know, move your hand the other way. So if you've got your hand facing your back now, switch around so that your, your hand is facing forward. And when you grab it, it, it looks a little bit different. Okay, great. Do that. Boom. Got a girl. Uh, next, next pair got a girl did the same thing. And meanwhile, I'm looking at who's left and it's me and a dude. And I'm like, Hmm, wonder how, wonder what we're going to do. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to work with the other, with one of the girls who have already went. Session director goes, um, you guys, oh, hmm. And I'm like, do you want me to work with her? And I pointed at, you know, one of the girls and she was like, no, let's just have you guys do it. And I looked at the other guy and the other guy looked at me and he just kind of shrugged. And I'm like, this is for a bank, right? And she was like, yeah, but I'm totally in a hurry. I'm way behind. Can you just go and do it? And I was like, you want two guys to hold hands on camera for a bank commercial? And she's like, I, can you just go and do it? It'll be fine. And I was like, uh, okay. So I went like a dumbass. I went and I did it. And what upset me about that was not that I had to hold the hand of a guy, right? But the, the point was that there is no bank in the United States of America that today would show two men holding hands in a TV spot. I'm sorry. That's like our society is not there yet for a financial institution. So automatically that took me and that guy out of the picture. Like we had no, no chance of getting that because of that reason. Ad creatives will, it's, it's weird. It's like they're always looking for the right person to put in their spot, but they're also always looking for a reason not to cast you. Sure. You know, they're always looking for the negatives because, you know, in their experience, the positives are so few and far between. They're going to look at that image of two guys holding hands and they're going to be like, well, what the hell? Why did they do that? There's no way we can use that. Yeah. And they're not going to say, you know, well, let's get those two actors. Let's call them back. And and by the way, I think there was no callback for this. So there was like no hope of redemption at all. It was just going to go out into the world. and, And that was that. But it was what made me mad was that it was a total waste of time now for these, for, for the, you know, the two guys, it was a total lack of that realization on the part of the session director, the person running the camera. And it would have been so easily fixable by just having both of us work with the two girls who've already went, which happens all the time. Sure. And then I was mad at myself because I didn't put my foot down and say, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to walk out or I'm going to work with a girl. You know, I kind of learned a lot on that day. I learned, you know, there are times when the actors literally are not considered part of the process at all. We are cattle and that is all. And we are a list that they have to get through and that is all. And I think that is really frustrating for for a lot of people. But I think that's the reality in certain cases. Um, God knows I've been on plenty of auditions where I felt like you go in on the first audition and then you do the callback and they call everyone back. Right. And it's like, well, why did you call everyone back? You seriously not know what you're looking for. You have to see everyone again, you know, and, and sometimes in those situations you have, they're behind and they just want to move quickly. And so you feel like cattle, right? Um, that was a very, very frustrating moment for me. Mm -hmm. And it changed the way I kind of looked at my own responsibility in all of this. And what I, what I came away with was it's my responsibility to treat myself the way I feel like I should be treated. So in that case, I, I mean, if that ever happens again, I will walk out of the room and, mm-hmm. and I'll say, put me with a girl or make this, fix this situation so that it makes sense so that we all are on the same playing field so that we all have the same shot at this job or I'll just leave. I'm not going to play that. I'm not going to play this, this weird game. So yeah, that was a, that was a weird, that was a weird day. Yeah. There, it's a, it's an interesting th- balance that you have to have as an actor between, uh, just sort of doing what you're told at all times and not really having any say whatsoever. And then keeping your dignity as well, keeping your integrity as a person. Right. Uh, there are times 
I'll get the opportunity to audition for maybe like an independent film. It's probably like a low budget or an ultra low budget SAG deal. And they want me for um, two or three days in St. Louis or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they say, um, yeah, we, we want a lead audition for this role. Here are the sides. Uh, please tell them to be off book. And it's like seven pages <laughs> for the audition. And there, there have been times recently where I just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not yeah. going to do that. Because it's <laughs> yeah. like it's unnecessary. If it was necessary to have – uh, seven pages for some reason, then I would say, okay, and I'll put in the work and I'll do it. But when it, when they don't need that for an initial audition and they say, yeah, just have them memorize these seven pages. It's like, fuck you. I'm like, I'm a person. I have stuff to do. That's going to take me hours and hours to do that. Right. You know what? And I think the takeaway for that is that you have a choice of how to spend your time. And if you read that script and you think that it's fantastic and you really want to do it, then yeah, you're going to put in the time. You're going to memorize the seven pages. But if not, you get to say no, you know? And I think a lot of actors are just afraid to say no, particularly in the Midwest. You know, I hear a lot about actors saying no and passing on things in, uh, on the coast, but you know, Midwesterners, we're just so gosh darn reasonable. Yeah. You know, we, we want to do a good job. We want to be seen as someone who's cooperative and who's hireable and all of that, you know, so we tend to stand up for ourselves less or to say no less. And, um, I think that's a really good quality, but I also feel like you have to make, uh, sometimes you really do have to make a choice. And you just have to remember that you get to make a choice and it doesn't matter if your agent is unhappy with you or the casting director is unhappy with you. The thing to remember is that in the grand scheme of things, the actor is always of just a very small part in the entire process. So your agent who happens to be maybe less than thrilled with your decision in that moment will hang up the phone or will move on to another email and forget all about it in two minutes. Right. You know, and then they'll just move on. Now, that being said, you can't turn away everything they give you. Otherwise, they'll stop calling. But yeah, I mean, you do get to make a choice and you get to say, no, I'm I have a little bit of power. I have a little bit of a say in this situation. And I'm not going to do that because that's just stupid. Yeah, you know, exactly. Okay, this has all been really good, Chris. Uh, I got a couple more questions for you. So sometimes we get called in for commercials where there is no script and that your agent will say something like, they're just going to ask you a few questions. Mm, Yeah, the interview audition. The interview audition. Yeah, do you like those? I don't mind those. I don't know if I like them. I'm always a little confused by them. I, I think of, I, I think I understand why we do them. You know, usually those are for MOS auditions and they just kind of want to get an idea of kind of who you are, sort of your essence, right? Uh, are you a positive person, a negative person? Are you going to be, a lot of times it's just like, is this person going to drive me nuts over 12 hours on a set or can I live with this person for a day? You know? Right. Um, so I kind of get it. Sometimes I walk out of those and I'm like, what, what was the point of that? Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I always prefer, I prefer to have a script. I prefer to, you know, do my homework, mem- you know, memorize it or get familiar with it and go in and do that. Yeah. That's when I feel like I'm at my best. Huh. Let's put it that way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I heard a great tip from, uh, Jimmy Callahan. Do you know Jimmy? Yeah. Jimmy C. He's great. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. he was on a number of earlier episodes of this podcast and we did one on, the interview style auditions. And one thing that he said, which is awesome, uh, and I've used it and I, I've booked work uh, probably because of it, is um, a lot of times they'll, they'll ask you a question and you'll be in there with a group and maybe the person before you, they'll say something like, uh, let's say it's a, a something that has to do with sports. Okay. So they'll say, mm-hmm. uh, do you play baseball? And the person will say, yeah, yeah, I, I played in uh, high school. And then, mm-hmm. the, and then the casting director will say, uh, what position did he play? I was a pitcher. And so on. And this goes on. And, and maybe five questions later, they go, um, uh, okay, great. And next person. Jimmy says that is absolutely not what to do. What you're supposed to do, because what they don't care about the answers, really. What they want to know is who you are, like you said, if you're personable, if they're going to want to kill you halfway through the day. <laughs> exactly. And so what you do is you just spin a web with the first question that they ask. So for instance, like I've never, I, I played a little bit of baseball, right? So, um, so I might say, they'd say, uh, Lee, do you play baseball? And I would say, uh, you know, 
I actually haven't played that much baseball, but I used to watch baseball all the time with my grandma. She was the biggest Twins fan there was, and she would always take me to these games, and she would buy us these like big bags of candy, and we would like sit there and watch it. And I have these like vivid memories of sitting there eating this candy with my grandma sitting next to me and watching Kirby Puckett, who was there maybe, you go. maybe the greatest of all time. Boom, yeah. done. And then they'll just go, great, thanks. Yep. And you can see it in their eyes that they're like, oh, finally somebody who understands this. Yeah. Well, that's called answering the question you wished they had asked you. Right. Yeah. And if you, there's a way that you can, you know, spin it towards that question, then yeah, you're, you're golden. I, I always have the, the trick that I use is, you know, find something, everybody has something that really lights your fire, right? That you can speak passionately about. And it doesn't even have to be related to the this question that they ask you. But if you, there's some way that you can turn the question that they asked you into that subject that lights you up, that's what you want to do. Because, um, yeah, that's what they, they don't want to, they don't want a two word answer. You know, they, they want to hear a story. They want to get, just get to know you a little bit. And, uh, yeah, that's a great tip. Answer the question that they, that you wished that they had asked you. Yeah. 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 That works super well. And very few people do it. Yeah. Very few people do it because they're, you know, they're literally answering the question again, you know, going back to the beginning of this, uh, of, of our time chatting together, I talked about subtext. The subtext of the interview audition is I want to know more about you. The context is answer my question, Mm -hmm. but what they're really saying is tell me about you and, you know, tell me something interesting and and so that I can get to know you better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. I got one more question for you, Chris. So this is something that I've really wondered about for a long time and I've heard completely opposite opinions when it comes to this. Um, When it comes to, I guess, any audition, be that... TV or commercials, uh, a lot of people will say, I look at the script and I think, okay, everyone's going to do it this way. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be different. I'm going to stand out and I'm going to be different. Uh What is your thought on that? (laughs) Uh, I think that's a really weird way to look at scripts. First of all, uh, you know, the last time we spoke, I think I made a big point about how you can't read minds. Yeah. That's a perfect example of someone trying to read not only the minds of the director or the writer, but the minds of every other actor who are who is auditioning for this. Yeah. What a fool's errand. What a dumb thing to do. So, no, I don't worry at all about how somebody else is going to do it. I can't control what they do. So why do I care what they do? I'm just going to worry about what I do. So what I do is I read the script the way it makes sense for me. Yeah, I spend zero time worrying about what anybody else is going to do or how they're going to do it. To find out more about Chris or to sign up for his private coaching, go to his website, chrisagos.com. For anyone interested, I highly suggest getting a copy of Chris's book, Acting in Chicago. Although the latest edition of the book was published in 2013, almost all of the information is still applicable. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.